The Thought Lounge podcast is sponsored by Willow, a social networking app powered by open, honest conversation. Willow is a space where people can connect to local communities, individuals, and the world at large through open-minded conversations. You can download Willow for free on the iTunes App Store today. Welcome to the Thought Lounge podcast. You're listening to the second episode of our We Need to Talk series, which is about conflicting perspectives presented side by side with the utmost respect for one another. For a full bio of each guest and for more on the format and philosophy of the We Need to Talk series, listen to the first couple minutes of the first episode of this series on bias and leadership. In this episode, our guest will be answering a question on feeding the masses, presented by Stephanie Coughlin, the CEO of Seabreeze Organic Farm in San Diego. Her question was, the world's human population is expected to increase from the current 7.3 billion people to 8.5 billion people in 14 years. By whom and how might food be produced to feed the masses? First up to answer this question is Stephanie herself. Enjoy! Well, on the current road that we're going, we're keeping up right now with uh, record crops. However, if you pull the curtain back from how it's grown, I'm very concerned that we're actually depleting the nutrients in the soil as well as naturally occurring minerals. And organic growing on a small scale is all about, of course, putting back into the soil and having the plants do the work and producing good, nutritious food for people. And I'm, I'm very concerned about where we will be going in the next uh, 15 to 20 years with increasing population. And farmers, as of right now, are the number one polluters on the planet. It isn't uh, chemical companies, it's farmers because of what they're putting into the soil, the confined animal treatment, uh, water waste, nitrogen flowing off into our lakes and our swamps and our oceans. So we've got some very serious issues to deal with. That was Stephanie Coughlin on how might food be produced to feed the masses. Next up, answering the same question is Justin Brooks. I think we're going to have to, like a lot of things, we're going to have to try find some common ground. I think right now we're in two corners. And one corner is let's put as many chemicals, as many growth hormones, let's maximize production, let's crank it out and not be that concerned about the health concerns. And the other hand, it's kind of let's just eat all organic. Let's not have any of this stuff going on. Um, let's fight against the big corporations that are mass producing food. And I think we have to find a common ground because I don't think it's a sustainable model to do it on a small level um, for everyone, you know, because we're no longer an agrarian society. I see that vis- very visibly in Puerto Rico, whereas Puerto Rico was totally agrarian. And when I was growing up there, when I was in high school, we used to talk with, with my friend's parents about how everybody used to live on farms. And so they didn't need a lot of money. And they could, everyone could grow their own crops and live off the land. But now it's become, you know, filled with factories and the pharmaceutical industry and everybody works and lives in the cities. And so they're not growing their own crops anymore. So all of a sudden they have to keep these factories to sustain their economy or they turn into Haiti. 
And that's the problem we have. We have a non-agrarian society now. A lot of people who don't know how to to survive um, without Vons. <laughs> so we have to either find some common ground or we got to figure out ways, super creative ways that people can start farming. I mean, a good start would be to, to everyone get rid of their front lawns and turn them into gardens. That might, that might be a good step in the right direction. And maybe that's part of our future. But we are going to have to be creative. We're going to have to have a conversation about it. And we're going to have to, in this very divided country, find some way to bridge the gap between these massive corporations making what's largely unhealthy food and the people who are fortunate enough to, you know, to shop at the co-op and pay the prices that are a little bit more that can, can get that kind of organic food. That was Justin Brooks. Next up is Brian Kim answering, how might food be produced to feed the masses? Yeah, this is like the very important question, I'm sure, that a lot of people are trying to find the answers to. Um, I think people will starve. Um, I think that there will be revolutions across across the world as well for resource battles um, over resources. Um, people are talking about how how the the famine and drought caused by climate change was what spurred the Arab Spring. So I wonder if we'll see if we'll see more conflict um, or a hoarding of resources by wealthier nations. Um, but man, I, I have no idea what kind of food is going to be produced and who's going to produce it. That that question is. Time will tell, I guess. That was Brian Kim. Next up is Lori Sulpizio answering, how might food be produced to feed the masses? Yeah, so, you know, I think, and I don't know that much about kind of the food industry necessarily, but as a consumer, you know, um, I think we have sufficient food, but it's similar with Wealth, it's like, you know, 1% of the population have their plates overfloweth with huge portions that they don't need and waste and scraps and, you know, throw away and others are starving. So my gut, my sense feels like we already have more than enough food that we have produced. The problem is you've got, you know, things like Claim Jumper. It's a restaurant that just gives you plates, this you know, huge size portions and ridiculously you know, kind of oversized and rations of food. And if we were again to limit, right, if I limit my extra helpings that I don't need anyway, so that somebody over here can eat, we're all good, you know? So I think it's again, shifting in excess, right? Some of us and some cultures and some communities are so accustomed to and feel entitled to and expect excess and then others have none. And so if we could, realize like I'm going to get more than enough and delicious food, but yet I'm going to make sure that I get enough so that I don't waste. And instead of wasting, I'm going to, you know, maybe ask for seconds. I mean, if we could have more discipline around those practices and even have the restaurants again, not serve such grandiose portions to get people to come in, you know, capitalism kind of driven, then we might be able to reallocate the food that we already have and say, let's send some over here, let's do, let's serve more appropriate portions and let's not 
overdue because we we're not we can't we're going to make sure we spread the wealth in terms of spread the food um and i don't know what that would look like or how it would be but it feels like we have enough food you know because you see the amount that gets thrown away at restaurants and places and thanksgivings take you know certain homes throw so much food away and you think who's who would want that you know what i mean who's sitting hungry and i just made a trash of like food for a week you know and that's where it's like we're just not conscious of others you know as long as we're sitting good and you know falling asleep after thanksgiving dinner with all the turkey it's like oh well i think if we could raise our consciousness to really think about others and how they live we have what we need already you know to kind of make the world better it's just are we willing to do that That was Lori Solpizio. Next up is Mauro Cifuentes answering, how might food be produced to feed the masses? I think the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that, um, you know, uh, I I think it's in the U.S. I'm pretty sure it's in the U.S., but 40% of the food that's produced here never makes it to a mouth. So that's a high number. That's a really, really high number. Um, and that may be a little bit different. That statistic might be like four or five years old. But that's that's the estimate. And so where is that food lost? That food is lost in the different forms of mechanized production and distribution that we have now. So they're producing enough food for lots of people. I don't want to say everybody, but for more people to be fed than are currently fed. But the way that they're producing it is not in a way that actually facilitates food getting into a mouth and used for nutrients inside a person's body. So I think that it would really require that we change a lot about how the food systems work. I think that this large-scale agricultural production, I mean, not only is it not sustainable in in terms of it not getting food to people, but it's also not sustainable environmentally. I mean, I come from the Central Valley. Like, that's where a good chunk of the food in this country is produced. And it's, you know, it's depleting the land. It's it's using up all the water in these water-intensive crops. It's depleting the soil. It's depleting the bodies of the people who, you know get that food and get it into, you know, um, distribution. Um, so the way that we do it now isn't sustainable for anybody, for the, the environment, the land, the people doing it. Um, and I I think that we need to remove this expectation of having all of our foods available year round. I think that we would definitely need to go to a much more seasonal model of food. Um, my partner used to work in, um, she used to work at the oldest organic produce distributor in the country, which is just right down the street here, um, Veritable Vegetable. And, you know, they really have run their business, um, you know, in this model where they're not making a huge amount of profit. You know, they're able to pay their people. So I also think the fact that that we have made the production of food something profitable. I just think that there are certain things that need to be kept out of the realm of profit. I think housing needs to be kept out of the realm of profit. Food needs to be kept out of the realm of profit. You know, healthcare needs to be kept out of the realm of profit. So I think that if we recognize 
food is something necessary that people absolutely need to live, then we have to start thinking about how to localize it. And not in this like sexy kind of like eat local kind of thing, which is now this like really boutique, high end, you know, kind of food flavor of the month or year or decade. But, um, you know, really looking at who profits from food insecurity, because there are people who are making a lot of money off of people starving and figuring out what that economic chain is and holding those people accountable, I think will be really, really crucial moving forward. You just listened to Stephanie Coughlin, Justin Brooks, Brian Kim, Lori Sulpizio, and Mauro Cifuentes on How Might Food Be Produced to Feed the Masses? The poser of the question today was Stephanie. After our interview, I got the opportunity to tour her farm, the only beyond organic, community-supported farm in San Diego. It was a beautiful thing getting to see all the happy plants, animals, and people working there. So if you want a bag of the freshest, most delicious, most sustainably grown produce you've ever tasted delivered to your doorstep every week, visit seabreezed.com and give Stephanie a call. Next week's question is presented by Justin Brooks, the director and co-founder of the California Innocence Project. He asks, what role, if any, should victims and their families play in the criminal justice system? Should they be allowed to testify at sentencings about the impact the crime has had on their individual lives? How do you think being a victim of a crime might change your beliefs? Thank you for listening to this episode of the We Need to Talk series. Conflicting perspectives presented side by side with the utmost respect for one another. Thought Lounge's mission is to foster the practice of intentional, in-person dialogue within ourselves and our communities, in which we listen to each person as if they are the most important person in the world, suspend initial judgment, recognize that creative conflict is good, speak authentically, and practice equity of voice. For more information or to print out a wallet-sized version of the Thought Lounge Five Agreements of Dialogue, visit thoughtlounge.org forward slash podcast. And until next time, good thinking always.